We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's Big Blue Banter, the answer to all your Giants matters. From run game to coaching to Bob Shepard's timbre. Hosted by Dan Schneier, analysis on fire. A Giants fan since day one, now preaching to the choir. Joined by Nick Filato, breakdowns with bravado. Passing you the facts like he passes on gelato. From just outside New York, a couple football dorks. A killer podcast when Dan says receiver corpse. They do the play-by-play, dropping almost every day. These experts know the X and O's just like Danny O'Shea. They do the review of the All-22, dissecting every throw. OCU Minora lit up in Venora when he was a guest on the show. So there you have it, a podcast for Giants fans who are rabid, who can't wait for Sundays, the NFC East, the Fantasy League standings. We'll see you back here. It's Big Blue Banter. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined as always my co-host, Nick Filato. For those of you who are new to the Big Blue Banter podcast or joined us in draft season, any point in the offseason, this is what we do. We break down the All-22 Coaches film. For those of you who don't know, that gives you the overhead angle where you can see all 22 players in the field at once, see the play developing, breaking down. But then you also get the angle from the end zone look where you can break down the offensive line. We break that down. Key takeaways. This year, what we're adding to the mix on both of these all 22s, we break them down, offense and defense. Tonight is defense. This is the defense. We're also doing some superlatives based on the film, the unheralded defensive player of the week, the best play call from Patrick Grant. The defensive player who struggled on the film. The best individual play. We're doing all of those, as well as going series by series, breaking down some notes and some key takeaways. Overall viewpoints from the game plan, both sides of the ball. The offensive coordinator, what did he show? How did Patrick Graham counter? How did these players counter? Things of that nature. We're going to get to all that tonight. But first, Nicholas Filato. How you doing tonight, my friend? Doing excellent, man. I'm doing excellent. Diving into New York Giants tape and just... Seeing some um, disgusting things, seeing some solid things, seeing some effort, and seeing just the Broncos outplay the Giants. <laughs> Without a doubt. That's kind of seems to be the case in this game, unfortunately. Um, schematically speaking, I thought that was even more, almost even more the case on this side of the ball. I really liked what Pat Shermer did in this game. We're going to get to that and my your thoughts on that. Let's start with the first series of the game here for the Giants. A uh, couple things I noted here. Great read by Martinez. Aggressive downhill for a tackle for a loss. That was a great way to start the game. Um, thought that 
the best play of this first series, and the Giants obviously uh, led to, this led to a punt for the Broncos, was the third down play call from Patrick Graham here. He's getting a little bit more aggressive. I think he's going to get a little bit more aggressive in general this season. Blitz the A-gap on a stunt with Martinez and Lourdes. Blake got the pressure early. Teddy forced the off-throw target by Teddy a little bit. Great stride-for-stride coverage here by Adore Jackson on Cortland Sutton. Yeah, I thought that was one of the better play calls, man. I mean, it was a five-man pressure package with a twist with Dexter Lawrence and Blake Martinez going through the A-gap. And Blake Martinez gets a free shot on Teddy Bridgewater here. Dory Jackson is stride for stride with Cortland Sutton. Uh, pre-snap, it was a too-high look. And then what happens, the Giants like to do this a lot um, in the pre- to post-snap phase of the game. Once the ball is snapped, Logan Ryan drops down significantly to rob the seam and it turns into a cover one man defense and good on Adore Jackson to keep stride for stride and the pressure up front just really uh, threw off the timing of Teddy Bridgewater. And dude, a crazy stat in this game that I saw and I posted on Twitter, the Giants are fourth right now in the NFL in pressures, which you would not imagine, but they were able to get pressure. It's just Bridgewater literally played with ice in his veins in this game. You have to tip your cap to him. But just to circle back to Patrick Graham, there was a double stunt on that play with Leonard Williams, Lorenzo Carter, and then Dexter Lawrence and Blake Martinez right up the A-gap. Love to see that. Thought it was an excellent call. Yeah, honestly, going back to what you just said, Nick, I feel like we talked about this uh, before the game. We didn't want to see Teddy Bridgewater. We would have rather saw Locke. I thought that was that contrast was even more stark than I even imagined. I thought in this game, Bridgewater made a lot of great individual plays. The Giants had him dead to right on multiple plays that he then turned into big gains for the offense that could have gone the opposite way on his own. He did that on his own. Now, some of what I thought the Giants did a bad job of here was coaching on the defense. Some like, for example, the, the Broncos ran a lot of this quick game stuff off of like basically no, no step drops. A lot of the times empty, which I, again, praised earlier in the offensive podcast, Thought the Giants did a poor job of getting their hands up defensive linemen there. Teddy's not a big quarterback. Get your hands up in those throwing lanes. A lot of the times I felt like they did a bad job of that. Really no tip passes there. For how much quick game was run, that bothered me. We can get to that in a bit. Your thoughts on that? Or actually, do you want to jump in before I get back to Teddy on that? Uh, there was one tip pass, but it wasn't from a defensive lineman. It was from, oh, yeah, from Holmes. Right. Holmes. Yeah, that was a nice play by Darnay Holmes. A player that I feel like has had a pretty up and down start to his career. I think a lot of Giants fans were um like, like viewed him in a – maybe a little bit more of a positive manner than I did personally. And in this game, there were times where I think he got benched for Julian Love. I'm trying to see right now how many snaps Holmes ended up playing. He ended up playing 28, which I guess is a solid amount, but 28 out of 66. And uh, I think there's going to be a lot of times this season where we see Love man the slot and Aaron Robinson man the slot when Darnay Holmes kind of makes a mistake or commits a penalty or anything like that, which is something that he's done a little bit in his young career. Yeah, no doubt about it. But the Giants did force a punt there. So we get to the second series. This is where you see a really nice play from the Giants defense. This is when I kind of felt like, you know, this Giants defense was going to be playing well now. <laughs> Ultimately, the second series didn't lead to great things for the Giants. But at the time, I was like, whoa, things are looking great. This is the play I want to break down where the Giants run that loop stunt. Really good, well-executed loop stunt here with Lorenzo Carter in 52 um, for the Giants. Carter gets in around the loop. 52 shoots at Bowles. Left guard follows him. Carter runs free. Bridgewater kind of has to force the throw out here, and McKinney makes an excellent break on the ball for the PBU. If you watch Xavier McKinney on this play, he starts center field. It looks like man coverage. It is man coverage. And he starts to shadow towards that three-receiver side. 
And then you could see him kind of stutter to watch Jerry Judy to see if Judy's going to break back towards the middle of the field. Judy ends up breaking on a seven route towards the sideline. And that's when Xavier McKinney plants that inside or that, that, yeah, I guess you could say that inside foot into the ground. And he just darts downward and watch the range that he covers to get to this catch point and knock that ball away. Darnay Holmes is in solid coverage there, probably was not going to be completed unless Judy made an absolutely ridiculous catch on the ball, play on the ball. But Xavier McKinney is showing a lot of athletic ability, understanding of angles and decisiveness on this play. I really liked it. Yep. And so things were looking good. And then, there's a play the Giants gave up that I think kind of defined this drive and gave the Broncos life that I didn't really fully understand. I wanted to find your take. I wanted to get a little bit of knowledge from you, Nick, on this. What coverage are the Giants playing on the play where uh, number 81 for the Broncos runs that deep in and they create that chunk yardage play? Brad Bridgewater has a bunch of time back there. But I'm just so curious why the safeties are so far back. It looks like the safeties are stacked and really playing at a huge depth. And it kind of leads to... A really easy underneath throw there for 81. This is man coverage right here, Dan. It's just a Dory Jackson gets beat on the inside break of Tim Patrick. It's a really good break. I mean, Tim Patrick looks like he has his entire momentum moving upfield vertically, and then he just sinks his hips and turns towards the middle of the field, and Dory Jackson kind of gets caught flipping his hips and and just doesn't do just doesn't conduct, I guess you could say, the right turn. And you could see how there's like four yards of separation. Uh, between the two at the break and the middle of the field the safety is too deep at this point the linebacker is preoccupied in man coverage on Noah Fant which the linebacker in this play was Jabril Peppers who was aligned in the box and then you have the robber who is on the opposite side of a Dory Jackson kind of eliminating that far seam for the deep crosser from I think that's KJ Hamler so Tim Patrick just beats a Dory Jackson on this play in man coverage yeah, I just felt like the – okay, that's a good explanation, Nick. It makes me feel a little better. I just felt like I didn't love how the safeties were aligned on this play and the depth they were playing at. I feel like a safety should – it just led to me like where you can make that quick break on that in-breaking out. Because also Jackson was playing – I know it's man coverage, but Jackson was playing a little off too here. So just left seemed like it left a big cushion for Pat, uh, Patrick. And on such a key down there, didn't love what I saw there whatsoever. Uh, again, and this is something Graham did a lot of. Pre-snap, what is it? Too high look, but you can tell the one safety is kind of cheating a little bit down. And then right when post-snap happens, safety rolls to the middle of the field. The other one drops down to eliminate that number two wide receiver from the opposite side, horizontal cross, which was the route. But it just, uh, you know, you got to win your one-on-one matchups. This is actually a disappointing rep from Adoree Jackson right here, the amount of separation that Tim Patrick, who's more right. of a bigger body receiver, creates on Jackson. Jackson has a really, really bad turn, gets his hips all messed up. His footwork is kind of all messy here, and there might have been a subtle push. It's a little bit difficult to tell, but uh, even if there was, I mean, Jackson, Jackson caught beat on this play. Yeah, it's a lot of separation. Maybe it was just so surprised to see a Dory Jackson give up that kind of separation to Patrick that uh, I, I turned to Patrick Graham. Maybe he doesn't deserve any of the blame for this. A couple other standouts from that. Love what the Broncos did with the empty five wide, empty sets. Again, use it as an extension of your run game. Love the play from Leonard Williams here on second and goal to blow up that block and destroy this run play. I mean, I think that's really what saved this drive for the Giants. Uh, at that time, it looked like it was going to save this drive for the Giants and ultimately did save some points here for the Giants. Were any other key takeaways from this second series? 
Yeah, Leonard Williams, I mean, he, he's a beast, bro. And and I know he didn't sack the quarterback in this game, but you can just tell the amount of disruption that he brings to the table here. I mean, he just bench presses number 66 off of him and splits before and splits the kind of double team that 72 was going to engage him. But 72 looks like he has his eyes on Reggie Raglan. 66 just couldn't handle Leonard Williams by himself. I, I love plays like that, to be honest. And uh, I mean, when you think about the Giants, man, I just talking philosophically about this game, we talked a lot about the tight fronts that the Giants employed last year. They definitely incorporated that in this game with either Austin Johnson or Danny Shelton playing the nose, the four eye, the three technique. But I don't feel like that was their predominant rundown defense. We saw a lot of two eye and then a two technique in two, four, five looks with the Sam linebacker typically being Lorenzo Carter aligning down on the line of scrimmage as a six technique, which is something the Giants were doing. A six technique is directly over the tight end to either disrupt the tight end's releases or to try to gain a run advantage against the tight end. So I felt like from a front standpoint, and again, that wasn't obviously always consistent. The Giants came out in four two five. They came out in three four base. They came out in two four five. They came out in three three five. They stacked Blake Martinez off the backside of Danny Shelton that time. So they did different things. But I kind of wanted to just give that overall picture that it wasn't as many tight fronts as I expected, and that could be a product of the fact that they did lose Dalvin Tomlinson, or just because they wanted to try and slow down the Denver Broncos in a different manner with the personnel that they have. Austin Johnson is a different type of player than Dalvin Tomlinson. Danny Shelton is a moose just like Dalvin Tomlinson, but it seemed like Austin Johnson was probably the the go-to guy over Danny Shelton. And honestly, Austin Johnson to me really, really impressed on film. I don't know about you, bro. Yeah, I felt the same way. I think it was a little surprising to see some of the snap counts. We probably expected more Danny Shelton. We didn't see that. That probably signifies, like you said, there will be a little bit of a shift in the Giants' approach. Though I do think in general in this game, the Giants, it's it's philosophically at least a lot of what we saw from Graham last year, which, by the way, I remain thrilled about in the sense that like he's daring you to run the football playing to stop the pass with most of what he shows out there, which is great in today's NFL. That's how you should run this, man worry about the run the pass is how you lose and win these games that's just life that's life in today's nfl good guys good gms good coaches get that i mean look at what <laughs> i thought it was so funny this week nick this is a little side tangent but it's so funny this week when florio was like the dallas cowboys are gonna have to be more balanced they want any chance to win moving forward and, and Kellen moore was like no uh, no, like we checked out of all those run plays and we had success checking out of those run plays because we actually were throwing the ball all around and like the Cowboys wouldn't be in that game if they tried to establish the run and be balanced with as many run plays as their pass calls. They would have lost that game by three touchdowns to the Bucks. And so, again, just goes back to that little side tangent. I want to get back on track. Though. I want to get back on track here with this series here. Anything else you took away from that series that resulted in a field goal for the Broncos? I did also want to add just from a coverage standpoint, just overall what the Giants were doing throughout the game. And you see the same thing. We saw man coverage, but maybe not as much as I originally anticipated from watching the broadcast angle. I saw a lot of similar spot drop zone match cover three type of principles, similar to what we saw last year. And unfortunately, I saw Teddy Bridgewater carve up those coverages as well. Did you get that same impression? Yep, exactly that. It's all... I'll give Bridgewater credit. I'm also going to give Pat Shermer credit. I feel like Shermer, ah, Shermer kind of, I think, did a really good job of 
evaluating the film of what Patrick Graham did last year and coming up with a really good game plan to beat what Graham does best uh, from a schematic standpoint. And so I definitely did see a lot of what we saw last year, and I thought they had a really good response for it, Denver. They did. They really did. And they were running the football. They were using power gap. I mean, they're, we'll get into some of it a little bit later, some second-half drives that I'm sure we'll get into, but let's stay on track now. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Third series, something this is actually a shout-out from one of our listeners here on the third series, Nodzi, I think that's how you pronounce his Twitter name. He wants to know about the play where it was a really, I mean, great play for the Broncos where they ran play action out of the tight front first uh, personnel with a fullback and it seemed to him like a he says it seems to me like a simple play. This is on the first and ten from uh, the Denver thirty seven on that third series, and it seems he said it seems to me like a simple play action, but it looks kind of strange to me because all the defenders for the Giants turn in the same direction, and this is where Fant leaks out for the big gain here coming across the formation. What exactly happened on that play, Nick, and why do you think uh, it was kind of odd looking with the Giants defenders? They always open up to the strength of the formation, it seems like. Now, it could be off there, but it's just something that I noticed last year on film. It's something that Blake Martinez did. And in this specific personnel package, this is 22 personnel with two tight ends to the to the field side. And it's a play-action pass. Fullback kind of goes like he's going to block. Everybody bites up. And then a linebacker's robot. And robot means it's, it's a term, it's a technique. It's called roll over and back. It's when you basically... You play action, you go like you're going to execute your run fit and you realize, oh crap, this is a play action pass. And you turn your back and you roll and you look for any kind of crossing route in the depth of where you were supposed to be. It's uh, I saw somebody, I think it was Warren Sharp tweeted that that Micah Parsons looked really lost in the in the uh, Cowboys game against the Buccaneers, but it, he wasn't lost. He was doing his technique. It's a robot technique. It's something. It's a football. bad look for Warren Sharp. He he does that from time to time, and I think Sharp does good things. But from a technical side, he'll he'll make he'll make mistakes like that. And then you know what? To his credit, he doesn't delete it. He leaves it up there, and he gets thrashed. He does yeah. <laughs> but on this play, I mean, this is a great play. This is a tight end leak play right here. I love this kind of play. This is a play that I feel like OJ Howard had a lot of success with in Tampa. This is a play that you you I wish the Giants used Evan Ingram on a little bit because you hit the play action and then you fake a rollout. You roll Teddy to the right like he's going to go past that hash. And everybody is going to be rolling and paying attention to the way he's rolling out. You have KJ Hamler running a deep over route. So everybody's panicking about that. Nobody's paying attention to this tight end who's running against the grain here, especially when you have Melvin Gordon kind of running into the flat to occupy the defenders in that area. So you have James Bradbury kind of paying attention to KJ Hamler and kind of passing that route off to the deep safety. And then that leaves Noah Fant wide open. Teddy Bridgewater does a great job cutting his rollout off, squaring his shoulders, setting his feet, and then finding Fant. That's what happened there. I mean, that's just great play calling by Pat Shermer, great execution by the Denver Broncos. And the Giants, I mean, they just got caught on a play action, and they were worried about other options there. And I feel like they all turned to that direction because they saw Teddy rolling in that direction, and it was the initial strength of the formation. Yep. There you go. That's the breakdown. That's um, uh, I think that's as good as you could have asked for there. So you can let us know if you still have any questions there. Nodzi, again, hope I pronounced that right. Um, great question, though. And again, for those of you who left questions on our iTunes, because we do always ask for an iTunes rating review, we will get to those on a mailbag coming up soon. But specific to the All-22, feel free to drop those questions in my DMs moving forward, and we'll get to those as well. 
All right, fourth series here. Big, big, big momentum-flipping touchdown drive here, Nick. This is the one where, coming right off Jason Garrett's debacle, <laughs> the run up the middle into the eight-man front, the fullback play-action flat, uh, the play-action fullback flat, and the tight end out for nothing. Punts <laughs> uh, it right back. Third and long here. This was the key play. This was like a turning point in the game for me, Nick. Dexter Lawrence, what a good pass rush here. He was inches away from the hit, the sack. Uh, instead, Teddy gets the ball out just in time to set up for a fourth and two that the Broncos eventually go for. Obviously, here, Denver again finds an easy in-breaking route going five wide with the empty set. They really did a great job all game by Shermer going to empty. And then credit where it's due on the next play. Teddy maneuvered really well in the pocket, created a small space, through that nice out pass to Judy. A couple things here. Back-to-back plays then with the out routes. The out routes were killing the Giants in this game. I want to get your take, Nick, on why the out routes were killing the Giants so badly here. Why the Giants had such a problem, you know, against these empty sets when they went five wide. And anything else you took away from this fourth series. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast ditch the busy work use indeed for scheduling screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use indeed the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Giants football is finally back, and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find New York Giants tickets anymore, because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for all NFL tickets. 
TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that the other sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all their NFL tickets. Don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. That's right. You guys ever want to just go and see Saquon Barkley hit a 60-yard run? You know I do. Daniel Jones, fine Sterling Shepard, Kenny Galladay, Darius Slayton deep. Well, if you guys want to see that live, please go and visit TickPick.com and use the promo code BANTER. That's TickPick.com BANTER. If you use that today, you can save $10 on your first order of the Giants tickets that you desire. Please check that out. It's tickpick.com slash banter. The Giants had problems against the five wide because their safeties couldn't cover the athletic tight ends in the middle of the field. I think the Giants were struggling against out routes, probably because they were playing off a lot of the time. And when they were in zone, when they were in a cover three type of zone, those out routes in the flats in general are typically a susceptible uh, area the liability against cover three type of defenses. I don't have the play specifically of what you're referring to, but that's probably um, that's probably the reason why. And I did see it on film, but it just seemed like the middle of the field and the timing and the rhythm of this Broncos offense was just so in sync. And that's something that is is very very frustrating to be honest. And you brought up the uh, the the third down play that set up the, the the catch to Jerry Judy. I mean, he just runs an easy. And easy from the from a reduced split off the hash, he just runs an easy look spot route and sits right before Blake Martinez and in between Lorenzo Carter and just finds the void in the zone. These receivers did a great job finding the void in the zone. The Giants' spatial awareness maybe wasn't as good as it was in 2020. That can definitely be rectified. That can definitely be improved upon. So I'm not going to necessarily uh, overreact or anything like that. But the mismatches that the Broncos had, they exploited. And I hate to say it because I love Jabril Peppers, but he was a mismatch every time he attempted to cover either Albert O or Noah Fant. And every time, big situations, specifically end of the second and in the third quarter, Jabril Peppers was exposed in coverage. There's a lot to get to with Peppers on this one. It was a really, really bad game for Peppers on the All-22. I missed something before that I wanted to mention, Nick. I went into this All-22 breakdown. I always go in fresh, but I always go in with some preconceived notions based on the broadcast. I was like, man, they paid Leonard Williams close to Aaron Donald money. I didn't love what I saw in the broadcast. And it's so funny. You watch the All-22 and your mind changes completely. You see all that Leonard Williams does. I talked for before about him blowing up that play, but also what he does as a pass rusher, man. Like, yes, it's a lot of money. Yes, it's a big cap hit, but he's their best defensive player in my mind. Um, he's a beast, bro. He's just an absolute beast. And, you know, looks so good on the All-22. Like, he stood out to me the most. We'll get to that a little bit later. But like you said, that's a great example for why they were finding success with that. We'll talk about Peppers shortly, but I do want to say this, something you mentioned, Nick, that I want to bounce off of. It's crazy to me, man, that this did really look like a passing game that was so in sync. And the most in sync passing game I've seen against Patrick Graham since Patrick Graham joined the Giants, with the exception of that Cleveland Browns game last year where they didn't have Bradbury, but even with Bradbury, man, they were in sync that game. Baker was ripping the ball into spots. But... What's crazy to me is that this is game one for Teddy Bridgewater, who joined the team this offseason, 
and battled it out in camp and the preseason, not getting all the first team reps. So didn't even have all those reps. Like how are the giants allowing that to be so in sync to me? My takeaway is kudos to Pat Shermer. And yes, I thought Teddy Bridgewater made a lot of great individual plays, but as far as just his passing game, when it was set from the pocket, no, he didn't have to scramble. He didn't have to make improvise from just the plays that work so well with him set from the pocket attacking Patrick Graham. I give kudos to Pat Shermer. I thought Pat Shermer called a hell of a game here. Pat Shermer really did. And, and as did, as did um, Teddy Bridgewater, man. I mean, I, I can't really say enough about, about that and Pat Shermer's ability to adjust Teddy Bridgewater's ability to recognize. And I think Patrick Graham, like I'm not even going to sit here and really knock Patrick Graham because he was doing different things. He was trying different things. It wasn't like he just got lazy with his play calling or lost his creativity. He was kind of throwing the kitchen sink at Teddy Bridgewater in terms of bringing exotic blitzes, stunts, a gap plug, uh, he would bring Logan Ryan or Darnay Holmes off the yep. edge. Sometimes Jabril Pe- uh, Peppers. He would use creepers, b- drop them off. You know, there was a time where he brought Logan Ryan as a creeper, and a creeper is a player who, who is looking like he's not going to blitz, and then last second he shows he's going to blitz, and then he comes, and then off the other side of the line of scrimmage, you drop. Uh, the end man on the line of scrimmage or somebody who you originally anticipated pre-snap was going to blitz, you drop him off in the coverage. It just messes up the protection and causes miscommunication along the offensive line. He utilized that technique with Lorenzo Carter a few times as well. You know, he rolled his safeties, one, showed pre-snap one high, rolled the two high. There was a play call that um, that he showed that, that, that Pat Shermer really impressed me because there was uh, he would line up in a cover three look. So, you know, you have the center field safety just chilling in the middle of the field. And then you have both cornerbacks looking like they are in a zone coverage uh, with their back towards the sideline. And then what happens is at the snap, they roll the center field safety to the right. And then the cornerback who is to the field, typically it was always the field side because it's harder to throw from the far hash to the field. He would roll into a deep half responsibility. Giants showed the Broncos that, and the Broncos hesitated a little bit. And then the next drive, the Giants tried it again, and freaking with a blitz, with a with a blitz from Logan Ryan, Teddy Bridgewater throws the ball like thirty five yards downfield and finds a wide open KJ Hamler for a catch right in the voided zone that was bailed off to that deep half responsibility by Adoree Jackson. It was like, wow, that was a really good adjustment by Pat Shermer. Excellent play by Teddy Bridgewater, recognizing what coverage was happening and finding the void. And that was by design. That's just an excellent chess match move by Shermer. It was a great game for him. I was really impressed with what I saw. Let's go on to the fifth series after this. Obviously, they scored that touchdown there. That was a big one, big one before the half. Come out. I thought that... One example I wanted to go over was I thought in this game, the Giants run defense was better in the first half than the second half. But what I saw was a lot of the same as far as what they do well versus what they don't do well as far as run defense. When the opposing team runs right at the Giants, they seem to do a good job of it. But around the edge, and this leads me to believe they still kind of need another addition at linebacker. I don't think they did that great of a job. There was a first down on that fifth series where... Gordon breaks contain on the contain on the edge. Carter really sh- really doesn't do a great job here. He turns it to a five yard gain that should have been nothing. And there were multiple examples of these four or five yard gains that I thought should have been nothing here. What do you make of that idea that the Giants are still kind of vulnerable against these outside runs? They are somewhat vulnerable against these outside runs, and I believe it was Judy did a good job blocking James Bradbury on that play. And Carter 
in terms of run defense, I feel like he had a solid game. This is one rep that really sticks out. But there was a sequence where the Broncos ran the ball three out of four plays. And every time they ran the football, it was directly at O'Shane Zimenez, who was lined up on the line of scrimmage. It was like Pat Shermer identified, hey, I know that guy. I'm going to run the football at him. And he did three different times. It's definitely something to note. One of the plays, I feel like Zimenez, he, he did a pretty solid job. But the other two, he kind of got washed a little bit. I also, you know, just uh, I don't know how how many drives we're going to go over extensively, but I want to bring this up now because he is a rookie. But Aziz Ojolari got bodied on that long touchdown run by Melvin Gordon. Yeah, he did get bodied on that long that long touchdown run. I went over that because I was, again, just so surprised. I said it's on the reaction pod. Like Melvin Gordon was never a long stride runner, a long touchdown runner at Wisconsin. He's a lot older now. But, like, looking back at that play, like, that was really nifty stuff by Gordon. Like, it was a really good first cut and a really good cut at, at, to the outside at the end. Like, I just give props to Gordon as I watch back there. But, yeah, you're right. Bad rep for Ojolari on that one. A few other players not so great on that one as well. I mean, this fifth series was a crazy series for the Giants because they had him dead to right. Second and ten, they had Teddy dead to right. He somehow escapes right after Dexter Lawrence pushes the offensive lineman right back into him. Then Aziz just misses the sack. Teddy throws the ball across the body and it completes the handler. That changes the whole drive because then it turns into this awful series where Peppers gets destroyed on back-to-back plays. Just quick inside release one play from Fant. And then the other one was number 85, who's not even great. He can't catch up to him on an inside move for the third down conversion. I mean, it was just that one play where Bridgewater throws across his body, second and 10, like if he takes the sack there, the drive's over. Even if he just gets forced and throws the ball out of bounds, the drive's going to be tough to convert from that third and long spot. Just a tough series here, the fifth series, I thought. Any key takeaways from you on it? Yeah, just a very, very tough series, to be honest, because you sack, if Ojolari sacks Teddy Bridgewater on that play, I mean, this game could have changed for all we know. Instead, this was just like, a, oh my gosh, another third down conversion? Like, what the heck is going on on a basically broken play where Bridgewater throws across his body? I mean, that's just a sickening uh, sickening thing to happen. Absolutely. And then you're right, man coverage is just, it's, it was an issue. Like like we brought up a little bit earlier with the safeties. This, uh, this drive was the drive where we saw Blake Martinez stacked right over top of Danny Shelton, which you Absolutely love to see that because good luck climbing to the second level on a play <laughs> like that. All right, let's move on to another series here, six series here. Um, this is where I thought Graham did a really nice adjustment. There was a second down where the Broncos ran a quick hitting tight end out. Giants dropped the corner down and it took it away. They threw to 82. He was kind of right in his wheelhouse when he was supposed to make the catch. I think he got a little alligator arms there. Thought that was great. Um, good adjustment there. But then that third down play, man, that big gain on that third and long. What happens here in coverage, Nick? Break this one down. Was this a coverage lapse or was this just a really great job by Pat Shermer? Because the Giants only rushed four in this. They should have seven in coverage there. There shouldn't really be this open hole uh, to, to throw that football into on a third and long situation. What happened here? This is a play to Judy. The play to Judy, correct. So the Broncos line up in a tight stack reduced split basically on the far hash with a tight end basically as an H-back. So you kind of have this makeshift little tight bunch. And then you have a receiver up off in a plus split of about five yards to the boundary. And what happens on this play is you have Jerry Judy running a deep post. And it looks like Logan Ryan kind of just 
bites up on the KJ Hamler underneath route and Logan Ryan gets put in conflict here. I feel like Logan Ryan probably should have had better awareness in this type of situation to know that Judy's route was going in that area. Because if you look at the pre-snap alignment, it's too high defense. Ryan drops down to kind of monitor the sticks. They're not necessarily playing a chains type of coverage, but they are playing towards the sticks and you have Rodarius Williams as the deep safety essentially here, number 25 with uh, Dory Jackson kind of playing a uh, deep third on the other side where there's no receivers. And Logan Ryan, I don't think he felt the Jerry Judy route and he saw KJ Hamler. There was another defender in that area who was going to be put in a conflict as well. And it looks like Logan Ryan was going to expect that Teddy Bridgewater was going to throw it to the open KJ Hamler. So he was trying to anticipate that route, but instead Judy just slipped right behind him. Good on James Bradbury to come off that route and make the tackle. And unfortunately Judy got hurt right after that, but it just seems like Logan Ryan just had a, some, a little bit of a mishap there. So actually referring to a different play, Nick, again, this is, we'll, we'll be better with this. We promise when we have the timestamps, um, we'll definitely be better with this. This is the one I'm referring to little bit earlier in that six series um, when the Broncos were backed up inside their own uh, inside their own end, like uh, basically inside their own end zone here. Do you know the one I'm referring to now? I'm going to try, I'm trying to find it. My notes are jumbled. I don't have timestamps. I basically was watching the game with zero. There were no timestamps on what I was watching. Um, this was just after they ran that second and 10, or I'm sorry, that second and yeah, 10 quick hitting out to the tight end that I was referring to the 82 where he dropped the ball. It looked like a drop, but it was really because the giants dropped down the corner. Then they came out third down and long seemed like the Giants should be able to get off the field. They only rushed four. they had seven in coverage. And yet seems like uh, just an easy completion to the out there. I believe I'm not sure if that was to Judy. This is the play that I'm, that I talked about before where they tried to get cute and drop a Dory Jackson to a deep half responsibility. And KJ Hamler just ran a deep, seven route and Teddy Bridgewater kind of just sticks in the pocket. There's a crossing route that Darnay Holmes bit up on that he probably didn't need to bite up on. And because Adore Jackson was trying to execute deep half responsibility, he had all his momentum moving in that direction, creating a huge honey hole between Darnay Holmes and Adore Jackson. Again, this is a great call. This is a great uh, decision by Teddy Bridgewater, a great call by Pat Shermer to recognize the Giants may run this coverage in that to the field side, Hamler would be open if they decide to go too high from the one high pre-snap look with that field cornerback, which is what they did. Right. Fair enough. All right. Anything else from the series you want to break down? Or you want to get into some, some superlatives, some categories based on the film, and then some key takeaways and hot takes. Yeah, we can get into the superlatives. I just, uh, I'm interested to see this game plan against the Washington football team and how what fronts the Giants utilize because we saw some good eagle fronts from the Giants as well. Uh, I think in terms of coverage, we saw a couple unique wrinkles from Patrick Graham. So I'm excited to see that. But let's dive into some superlatives. Just overall, this entire game on um, the defensive side was disappointing. Well, why don't you break down what an eagle front is, first of all, because I know that people are going to be asking me that in my DMs and saying, you guys never break down what you talk about, and you guys expect us to just know these things. The honey hole, the eagle's front. We went over the honey hole, so let's go. So we've done that before, but let's go over the eagle front. Yeah, the eagle front is a no. It's a, essentially a tight front that we discussed before, but instead of having that three technique on the outside shoulder of the uh, guard, you have a four technique, which is directly over the top of the tackle. 
So was essentially what you have is a nose, which is usually Danny Shelton or Alson Johnson, and then two four techniques. It also consists of smaller type of personnel, typically. So it'll be multiple linebackers, four or five linebackers. Typically it's five, but in the Giants' case, they treat their safeties as linebackers, so it'll be a safety more towards the box. So it's a smaller personnel package. Gives you a little bit more speed, may not be as strong against the run. All three of the down linemen are inside of the five offensive linemen, and you drop linebackers also down over the tight ends if you're going to have a tight ends, making the box really, really congested. And that's what the Giants were aligning in. Some of them were somewhat shaded towards a four eye. And it's a little bit of a deviation off what the Giants did last year where they would align in their tight front with that weak side man on the line of scrimmage, typically Leonard Williams being a three technique. Yep, there you go. All right, let's get this in some superlatives. Let's give give me your unheralded player of the week based on the film. My unheralded player of the week, I mean, there could be a bunch. And I want to throw Dexter Lawrence's name out there because we didn't talk about him that much on this podcast. He was phenomenal in this game, getting so much push up front and just dominating the interior offensive lineman of Denver at the point of attack. But I feel like he's heralded. So I'm going to go with an unheralded player. And it's somebody I mentioned before, and that's Austin Johnson. I feel like Austin Johnson had probably about four or five plays where you're like, oh, wow, he really disengaged from that block quickly. Stack and shed. The uh, offensive lineman had quick hands, violent hands, and then found the ball carrier on a couple different types of plays. Runs right up the A-gap on some stretch runs and also – in as a pass rusher as well yeah my pick is i think lawrence is a great pick first of all i'm gonna start by saying that um austin john's good one i'm going with leonard williams because i haven't heard enough good talk about leonard this week and he was awesome he was a big reason that the giants give up even more points specifically on those drives where they held the broncos to seven instead of three so he's my i guess unheralded player of the week but just for this one he probably won't be able to qualify in another route another time all right nick no, give me your not. Yeah, not 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 often, especially when he's making what twenty two a year. Give me the call of the week from Patrick Graham. The call of the week. It's one that we broke down in the beginning of the podcast. It's that twist that uh, he ran with Dexter Lawrence and Blake Martinez on the five man pressure package, and then a twist right next to it with Leonard Williams as the penetrator and Lorenzo Carter looping inside, and it just forced an incomplete pass. And I know this isn't the sexiest of picks. But the, the, in the manner that this offense kind of controlled what this de- dictated what this defense was doing, it, it just really took advantage of what Patrick Graham was trying to do. And again, sometimes you just get outplayed. Sometimes you just get outcoached. That's what happened here. So that's why I ended up going with this one because it was an effective third down call and was kind of creative and unique. So that's where I'm going to go with that one. All right. Give me your defensive player who struggled on the All-22. It's going to be the same player, but... Let me hear it. No, you know, I'm going to let you take that player. I'm going to take James Bradbury. Okay. And now there were plays where James Bradbury, you could see that click and close. You could see him recognize route concepts, react, and then eliminate Teddy Bridgewater's ability to throw the football to said receiver. But key situations, man, he was getting beat on that fourth and two. He got beat inside by Cortland Sutton, who released off the line of scrimmage and then ran a beautiful route and separated from James Bradbury. There was the seven route where I think Bradbury was aligned in the slot. He got beat on a seven near the red zone as well, got beat outside. So 
there were just a couple plays where you're just like, you're not used to seeing a player of his magnitude get beat as often as he was. He surrendered a touchdown on this play, was targeted seven times, gave up six catches for 65 yards, and he's better than that. And that's why I'm I'm naming him. It's not a referendum on him. I'm not worried about him, but he didn't play up to his potential. No doubt about it. I'm going to go with Jabril Peppers, though. Man, this was not a good game for Peppers, who wasn't happy this week about his reduced role, but... Listen, man, Peppers was just burned on these quick inside releases from these Broncos tight ends, a variety of them. It wasn't just Fant, who's really athletically gifted. Peppers is not good in these one-on-one routes. I don't think they should play him there. I think this may be a role for Aaron Robinson if he ever makes it back. (laughs) Who knows what's going on there? I honestly think McKinney is their best option, but they can't afford to play McKinney there because they need him in another role, unfortunately. But I do still think he's by far and away their best option here. Maybe Logan Ryan, but... Peppers ain't it, man. This is not what Peppers improved last year in coverage, but it was mostly in the deep half, I thought. He's just not good in these one-on-one coverage. He's not quick enough, I don't think it is. He's he's kind of just too, I want to say boxy. I hate using that term, but it really looked like he was just, on one play, he couldn't catch up. On the other, he was beat quick off the line of scrimmage by Fant. But I don't know, man. It just was not a good game for Peppers. Nah, it wasn't a great look for Peppers in a contract year, and his, his snaps being scaled back and basically cut in half because he only played about half the snaps isn't a great way to start the season either. No doubt about it. The best individual play on in the All-22, I'm going to go with the play we talked about earlier when McKinney catches up, makes that PBU, comes from, like you said, you broke it down perfectly. It doesn't need another breakdown. You gave it such a good breakdown. Any others you have besides that McKinney play? That was the McKinney play I was going to go with, but there are several plays where like I said before, Austin Johnson did really well. Again, we don't have the timestamps because game pass is game pass. Uh, Blake Martinez did a really good job scraping over the top, but he also had a few miscues that just sucked in really, really key situations where you missed the tackle. Very uncharacteristic of him. And then Dexter Lawrence, there was at least four or five plays that I have written down of him just pushing people back into Teddy Bridgewater. Just Never got home, unfortunately. But if I had to pick one, it'd be the same one as you, that Xavier McKinney play. You just love to see the upside of a of a safety with range. It just makes you and me just feel like, oh, wow, the capabilities of this defense. If we could have somebody who can cover from the far hash all the way to, you know, pass the numbers and take the right angle to the football and know when and how to get there without, you know, putting himself out of position or not executing his assignment. And also somebody who's good in the run game, which McKinney seems like he's pretty solid in that matter too. Yeah, it's a feeling I really haven't had since Kenny Phillips, and that's a long time ago, and it's so rare to get those guys. I consider them unicorn players. Those safeties can play the deep half that well and just know the angles, uh, can make PBUs like the one we saw for McKinney. I think big things are coming for him in his Giants career. All right, any rapid fire, either hot takes or key takeaways? No, no rapid fire hot takes, but I will say I, I expect this defense to be sharper against Washington. And again, I think one reason why they weren't as sharp was because the offense was just uh, incredibly sharp. <laughs> so, and I'm talking about obviously Broncos offense, not the Giants, unfortunately. So I think- And I don't gonna, think Washington offense will be as incredibly sharp with a new quarterback having to come in who didn't take any of those reps in the preseason in Taylor Heineke. I think well, it's yeah. gonna, I'm no sorry, doubt. go ahead. I said, yeah, exactly. Like, there's no doubt about that. Like, they shouldn't be. So I would only expect them to to pose the same kind of threat, uh, anywhere near the threat that Denver did. But, you know, Thursday's right around the corner. We'll see. Yeah, no doubt about it. A couple hot takes, key takeaways. I always...